0: Hi, this is Aaron Azrod, and welcome to the fourth part in our series, Rome, The Decline of Democracy. Where we last left our story, Antony and Octavius have now mobilized their resources to fight one another for control of Rome. Brett, take it away. The liberator
1: force in Rome has been thoroughly defeated. Antony and Octavius through extra political and political means, meaning the official channels of being the second triumvirate and being empowered to make decisions along with the less more legally dubious route of just having an army that's loyal to them have purged the Senate of resistance. They have finished off uh, Cassius and Brutus, the last two major threats to their power, they are now the sole rulers of the Roman empire. And for completeness sake, um, I should say that there's actually, there's a third person in this named Lepidus, who was a friend of Julius Caesar. And he's kind of acting as a a gate for Antony, who has no official power in the government. So he's there, because Lepidus is a governor. So he's there to just like, Say whatever Antony wants and, and put that through, but really, everyone knows that Lepidus is is not as important here as as Antony and uh, and Octavian. They split up the empire between east and west, with Octavian taking the west and Antony taking the east. Hmm. Antony's plan is to mobilize a grand army, and well, I should say that both of their plans at this point, and at basically every point, has always been in the back burner to eventually usurp the other and take full control
0: of the empire. Let me Either to one jump in with a, a question here for a second. So when you say that they split the empire between the East and the West, I kind of liken that to our own uh, American Civil War, and I'm just wondering, like, how demoralizing could that be? Because we we know that empires or or, or Rome probably prided itself in in the vast amount of land and territory that it had conquered. So I, I think that's a huge blow to the 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 ego of the state to sort of be split in half. Right? They they did not see it this way. It would
1: it's it's akin to like you know, having different governors in different states. OK, gotcha. You know, like we don't consider the US to be weaker because we have multiple mayors. You know, it's is it was probably pitched to them something along the lines of like, you know, he's in charge of uh, this is Octavius he's in
0: charge of of these provinces and this is
1: Mark Antony he's in charge of these provinces
0: so none of these sides was labeled as being like uh, because we labeled the south as annexing so i'm wondering like it was like Octavius wasn't labeled oh you're you're annexing from rome or anthony you're annexing away from rome no no
1: um uh, what happened essentially was rome was a, a singular body that was each each province was controlled by like an an apparatus of bureaucrats, governors, proconsuls, proprators you know, people just are running things—and then the Senate uh, kind of makes up rules and laws and delegates it down to them, right? But the people who are like directly boots on the ground in these provinces have a lot of authority. Gotcha. And what happened was was that when this triumvirate formed. And they drawing up the, their plans. They're basically saying, like, okay, Octavius, you're going to be the governor of these ten provinces. Not illegal, but super weird. Never
0: done before. Bending those rules. You, we will see a constant bending of the rules. I see. So this is this is not like a a giant succession. It's more of, okay, I am I am my jurisdiction rests in these areas. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, uh, that's that's exactly right. And. They each had their own things
1: that they had to take care of, but in the back of their mind, they each had their own things that they had to take care of in the sense of like, because at this point, their their triumvirate has been ratified by the Senate. Ratified by the Senate mostly because the Senate is now made up of like weak-willed yes-men and they're not <laughs> special interest groups, but you could akin them to special interest groups. People who are like in it for themselves. Again, everyone was in it for themselves but like let's say even more so than normal and and um yeah so the senate is is made up of of yes men of weak-willed people because all the firebrands have been conscripted which means they've been killed exiled their property has been seized they no longer have the means to not capable of putting up a fight anymore and also the fact that with the the end of the the liberator armies mark antony and uh octavius are in control of like the vast majority of the military, some ridiculous amount of legions that make it difficult to, to kind of say no to them. I mean, the way that Octavian even gained official authority with the Senate was after the two consulars for the year died when he was laying siege to Mark Antony to protect uh, Decimus Brutus, he demanded that the Senate name him consul and they said no. And he marched an army to Rome until they agreed, until they agreed. Right? He didn't go into Rome. He just sat on the outside. The implication was clear. So east and west, the power sharing agreement splits east and west Rome between Mark Antony and Octavius, with Mark Antony taking the east and Octavius taking the west. They each had to have an air of governorship because, or governorship because if you just um, you know, abuse your power outright, like just totally do whatever you want. Then you're not going to be in power for very long. But at the same time, both these men had aspirations that had nothing to do with the people or governing. Right. They each wanted to usurp the other one and become the sole ruler of, as far as they knew, like the only power in the world. This was for this was for all the marbles. And the way that Mark Antony was planning on doing this was through a successful campaign in against the Parthians, which is the Parthian empire is to the east of Rome, um, present day, Middle East, present day, India. And they are a constant target. They're like the only other empire that Rome knows about. And they're a constant target for great Roman generals who are seeking glory, but Parthia is tough. (laughs) Uh the Seleucids before them are tough. The the Arabs who will come after are tough. The Ottomans, right? Like the 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 one thing that Europe constantly messes up is underestimating the Middle East. And we'll see, we'll see Rome has problems with them throughout their whole history. We saw Crassus, one of the original members of the first Triumvirate, die in a failed campaign with Parthia. Julius Caesar died before he could. Begin his campaign, and Mark Antony is going to attempt an invasion, and we will see it. It um, it does not go well.
0: So these guys, uh, you know, Anthony didn't really read from history. <laughs> no, um,
1: something something about the Middle East and something about Russia.
0: That yes, just constantly like people, screw up. <laughs> people just and it's just it's so out there, right? And it's just like read your read your history and no, don't don't mess with these places. <laughs> yeah, I mean, history
1: history it doesn't repeat itself but it rhymes yes yes and uh this this these events play out over and over and over again and i i personally i think that's very interesting right yeah and the, these mistakes just keep getting made and and you always say like oh how could they be so dumb in in invading this region they're so foolish anyway you know how's that invasion of iraq going good
0: i hope right like it's it's we don't learn. <laughs> I, I, no, I, I think that um, like every president or ruler needs to have at least one historian on their cabinet that could be like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! This has happened already, my friend. Like, just, just yep. hear me out on this." And like, that's okay if that's not like the sole person whispering in your ear, but just have that voice in the room.
1: Antony's plan is to invade Parthia, sure, and win this huge, huge coup d'etat. And uh, come home victorious, rich, come home victorious with a lot of political clout because the Romans really respect military victories All like, right. to the point where like if you want to be a senator – you need to have a military uh, victory, military service under your belt, it's it's necessary.
0: That's interesting, that's early uh, US, I think. I think we used to, like we had Washington, Andrew Jackson, uh, Ulysses Grant. So I think we also kind of had that Roman heritage of like, oh, great general in war and now becoming president. And I think after Eisenhower, that sort of faded away. Every
1: every Every country, after 476, <laughs> AD, every country thinks that they're the next Rome. It, <laughs> it's, it's, no, I'm not, I'm not criticizing you. It's just, it's funny because like everyone looks to, to the Roman Empire and says, like, oh yeah, we're the, we're the next Rome. You know, like, you know, you have the Holy Roman Empire, um, which was like, you know, present day Germany. Russia calls itself the third Rome. Um, I've even heard uh, the Ottomans call themselves the third Rome, right? right. they yeah. They took over the Byzantine Empire. I've even heard some people claim that China is the third Rome wow wow i know hey. it's it's wild <laughs> so Octavian doesn't have a plan so much as he has a bunch of jobs uh though he has been saddled with lots of really kind of crummy tasks one he has to settle the troops which is a pain right typically after a war is over You would use the money that you stole from the people you conquered to pay your troops, you'd use the land that you stole from the people you conquered to settle your troops and and you'd be good to go. But because this last war was a civil war fought on territory that was already controlled by Rome, this did nothing but bankrupt the Treasury. Even after the conscription was over, they barely had enough to go after the liberators. Now they have nothing. They're broke. So where do you get the money to pay these soldiers? Where do you get the land to settle these soldiers? It was a serious problem, right? On top of that, Pompey Magnus, the I don't know if you remember his name from our second episode where he went to war with Julius Caesar. Pompey Magnus had a son who is now, well, it depends who you asked. He's either A the last admiral of the liberator fleet fighting for democracy or the head of a pirate armada terrorizing (laughs) the
0: mediterranean
1: right depends Um, if you're on that ship or outside that ship right (laughs) yeah basically so so pompey's son is kind of a problem he's got he's has control of several major areas that rome uses to produce their grain like corsica and uh, Sicily, and he is strangling the grain supply. And because he knows that, you know, it doesn't matter how much clout you have, how much control over the soldiers you have, a, a hungry city is not a quiet city. Right. right. Good, 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 good quote there. He is waging a war via blockades and, you know, stra- like I said, strangling the grain supply. Octavian is tasked with these two things with settling the soldiers and with dealing with this pirate menace. So he enlists the help of uh, a childhood friend of his, someone really important who I'm I'm afraid we won't be able to get too deep into who this person is, but his name, I would be remiss to not mention his name, which is Agrippa. Uh, Agrippa is Octavian's like main general, childhood friend, best friend. Uh, Whenever we say things like Octavian won the battle of, of actium or like octavian defeated um pompey we're almost always really saying agrippa did these things hmm. Agrippa's great we i i would highly recommend doing some digging into him if you're if you're at all interested in late republic military history may we all be blessed with friends like agrippa um <laughs> so, but anyway so agrippa builds a fleet and In secret he actually he builds a fleet in a in a lake in the middle of the the country and then builds like a canal out to the sea, because he knows that if he builds it in the normal docks, then his. His secret fleet will be discovered and destroyed before it can sail Uh, and and they successfully deal with Pompey and at the same time Octavius he makes a decision where he's going to basically steal land and money from regular citizens and give them to the soldiers it, it should come as no surprise in this late republican period that when you have to choose between making citizens happy and making soldiers happy uh you choose soldiers also there is a uh, a conspiracy plot hatched against octavian by mark anthony's uh wife and Octavian successfully repels the insurgency and it gives Octavian this like air of legitimacy as a soldier. It's like
0: I said, winning battles
1: in Roman history is really important.
0: It's really important. Now, would they, they also kind of respect your work on the ground? Like it's not enough to just command troops to go from here to there. Like were these, uh, roman leaders like actually do they have their own feet on the ground and fought alongside their soldiers is that yes but it's worth noting that even though they did do that they have like a
1: cadre of bodyguards ah, who go in it would it's it's very difficult to like accidentally get killed when you're like a general in this era i mean that's actually that's too far it's not very hard it happens and it happens a decent amount but it's not it's not so much as like you can't as the opposing side just be like look for the guy in the most expensive armor and kill him <laughs> because he will be surrounded by by a,
0: by people whose sole job it is to keep him alive OK, so that's like like the president's Secret Service in a way, because I, I think a lot of movies get this wrong where they make it seem like the general is just a regular dude, just like completely in the midst of battle. But in reality, these people are surrounded by a, a legion of protection.
1: Yeah, and it's also worth keeping in mind that like in in modern day today, that like probably wouldn't work as well because like guns and bullets and projectile weapons – Tip the scales so that like you could have thirty people bodyguarding you, but like one guy with a rifle is gonna make all of that pointless, right? Right. Yeah. That's so. But true. like during those times, uh archery was was a tactic, but it wasn't. It wasn't. There were no like there weren't like sharpshooters yet. Th- that won't come until like essentially the Huns will start popularizing it. The Mongols will popularize it. The recursive bow will make archery a much more potent tool in warfare but for now it's mostly used to like soften up infantry
0: Mm, mm. where
1: you'll like you'll just fire it and fire lobs of arrows into groups of people and hopefully you'll you'll break some shields you'll get
0: them out of their formation it's not really used yet as like a a a marksmanship weapon like the reason i mention this is that i think it's important and this is something that perhaps even exists in, in the US today, is that we like our leaders to at least show some semblance of having the same level of public service as 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 the people that they're commanding. And I think that like having that presence on the battlefield, and even if the 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 scales are highly tipped and this person is shielded and protected, I think that that kind of builds respect if they see that the person commanding them is also somewhat entrenched in that battle, as opposed to just sitting in like a fortress and 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 ordering people to do whatever.
1: You know, you have the the famous mission accomplished speech from George W. Bush, where he flew out to a um an aircraft carrier. Yeah. Right. The imagery there is supposed to be that it's like he's on the front lines with with the soldiers, you know. And then beyond military it's really popular in american politics where you'll have those photo ops right where you have like uh, a candidate like shows up to like a soup kitchen for like 25 minutes to take
0: pictures holding a ladle and then off they go. Right. It's, it's.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, and,
0: yeah. You're right. The key word is semblance. You know, it, it doesn't mean like there might be a, there's obviously that leader is being protected in ways that are like, very apparent or, or sort of covert, but the idea is that they're, they're getting those photo ops in there of like, yeah, yeah. I was right here alongside you. Absolutely. Right. And obviously there's. I would say less of a risk
1: of being murdered while working at a soup kitchen than when you're on the battlefield, but it's the same protection can still apply here where in this case, protection would mean protection from doing work. Yes, right. right? Exactly. You're, you're being protected, so to speak, from from the real ravages of, of what you're doing. And it was the same thing with, with military leaders during this era where when people the main weapon of choice was a melee weapon like a pole arm or a spear um having 10 people around you made it very difficult for you to be accosted no, like obviously mistakes happen in the din of battle and and leaders get wounded and killed but like it's harder um so this this uh failed insurgency which there's some debate historically on whether or not Mark Antony knew or approved of this happening before it happened. I mean, it was his wife that was involved with it, so but take of that what you will. He 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 rebuked her afterwards, but we don't know. We don't know, right? So, it was clearly it was meant to to weaken Octavian's position, but all it did was make him stronger. You know, um he got this military win, he showed bravery and heroism and people liked him. Soldiers were settled. So that was done. Pompey was removed from power and killed. That was done. Octavian was riding high. Meanwhile, Antony is having tons and tons of problems. Antony, um, actually, before I get into the problems, Antony um, has gone to Egypt to help raise funds. And because Egypt throughout this whole period is, is very, very wealthy. And like Julius Caesar before him, Cleopatra needs a guarantor of her power, right? There's a mutually beneficial relationship going on where Cleopatra is saying, I need someone with authority and power to recognize my authority in Egypt so I can continue to be the queen. And Antony is saying, I need someone with money to find it, help me finance my campaigns in, in Parthia. And they find it in each other. And just like Julius Caesar, a romantic relationship starts to bud. And (laughs) she gives birth to a couple of, of Mark Anthony's kids. I
0: want to say three kids by the end of it. Wow. She has a a way of cuddling up to power there. She does. She's (laughs) she's very,
1: she's very good at that. I mean, she's, look,
0: she's famous.
1: Yeah. right. Even today (laughs) for, for a reason. Right. (laughs) And, it's a mutually beneficial relationship for the two of them. He gets the money and to to do his invasion of Parthia. His invasion it goes so poorly. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous how bad it goes where he marches his soldiers out in the desert sun and he is is while he's marching the um the locals are like feeding information to the Parthians about like his location and his weaknesses. And what happens is, is his baggage train, which is the part that follows behind the army that has their food, their, the stuff that they use to make their lodgings, their siege works gets sacked. Wow. And decimated. And this is, this is, this is worse than a disaster because Anthony's plan was to take a city before winter and then use that city for winter quarters, and then wait till. Because remember, something that we we forget is that in the days of antiquity, the weather
0: mattered a lot. Yes, yes. No, it's the same thing with Napoleon and Hitler. It's like everyone is really brave in, in the springtime or in the summer, like, yeah, I can conquer it all. And then that winter hits, and it's like, oh boy, uh, we didn't think this through. (laughs) Absolutely. And
1: even, even worse back then, even the day and night cycles matter, where battles that would have gone in one direction just stop because it's too dark to fight straight up they can't they
0: can't uh they can't fight in the dark. It so, but, reminds but, me of when I was a kid just playing handball at night. You just at a certain point you just can't see the blue ball anymore. It just it just disappears. Yeah, absolutely. You stop you stop playing when someone gets hit in the face because they can't <laughs> see, right? It's like, well, I guess it's time to go in. <laughs> Dinner. Um, yep, yeah, that's
1: exactly it. They didn't have street lights back then. Rome yeah. as as a, a tangent, Rome was famously dark. They didn't even really have torches on the streets. Once nighttime hit, it was it was imperative that you got home. So Antony's plan cannot succeed now. The war in Parthia is over. With the siege works burned, he will not be able to take any cities. The, the people will just hold up in their walls, and 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 he's done. He won't be able to take a city. He won't be able to have winter quarters, which means he won't be able to feed himself and his army, which means the war is over before it even began. So Antony tells his 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 shocked frankly generals it's time to go we're leaving war's over and they turn around and they start marching back but it, the the bad luck for him does not end here because a kind of vassal state kind of ally kind of enemy th- this if you're if you're studying ancient rome then this this area will come up over and over and over again and that is Armenia. Hmm. Armenia is, is a constant political and military battleground between Rome and whatever empire is currently ruling in the Middle East, Parthia, Seleucia, even the Ottomans for a while. And Armenia, when he marched out, was an ally of Rome. But they take the opportunity when Antony fails his war to switch sides over to Parthia. And though they don't outright attack his army, they don't give him any kind of assistance or help. And so his soldiers marching back in, in winter with, with nowhere to stay, nowhere to rest, no friendly territory, are they're dropping like flies. Antony loses something like 25% of his, um, of his force
0: to just disease and cold. Now, this is actually something I kind of want to just put our thumb on a little bit, because I think this does come up a lot today where you have like returning veterans and you have all of these organizations who are like, hey, you're not giving us the best body armor or you're not treating us for PTSD or you're not uh, providing quality health service. And I think that you as a leader can quickly lose the respect of your soldiers or your infantry if you're not aware of those services. Like if you're you're not fundamentally aware of like, shoot, I didn't provide enough food for you guys, healthcare, or whatever, then no matter how brave or victorious you are in battle, you will come back with some resentment.
1: Oh, absolutely. And the thing with democracy is your, or our democracy is that your tools of, of political clout are voters. They're not soldiers, not yet yeah. anyway. And so it's when you don't support your, just like with Mark Antony, if you don't, Properly support your soldiers, then you lose them, and with losing them, you lose your political clout. If you don't properly support your constituents, you lose them, and with them, you lose your political clout.
0: Yes, absolutely. And you know what? Those, you know, the, you know. It's funny, be, not if not funny, but sad rather. Like dead soldiers tell no tale, so to speak. But the the soldiers that come home alive. They actually have stories to tell. Like you have all of these veterans who are like, "Hey, when I was out there, they didn't give us blah blah blah. They didn't give us body armor. They didn't. They gave us old rusted tanks from the '80s." All of these stories come back, and then that can kind of weaken your political clout over time. The soldiers that come back and tell how you know ill prepared and ill equipped that that um, that venture was.
1: So Anthony starts to go native. Um, he's he divorces his divorces his wife, which at the time is actually Octavian's sister, which was meant to be like an olive branch. So you can imagine that that didn't go over so well. Sure. To, to be with Cleopatra more. Um, he starts like naming his children, like the heads of provinces that are under his control, which has dynastic implications, which is a uh, very startling to the Roman people.
0: I want to talk about this idea a little bit is that, it's this idea that if you don't have your house in order, that 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 can kind of seep into your governance. So I think that if he's having problems with his wife and he's having problems with his successors and the, and the family, I, I think there is a thing to be said that if you don't have your house in order, it makes it really hard to kind of govern, uh, you know, an entire empire, so to speak. Would you, would- his priorities are getting all messed up here
1: where w- the implications of what he's doing seem to be that he's carving out a piece of Rome to be his own personal kingdom with he and Cleopatra at the head. Yes. yes. And Octavian hinges on, jumps on this and, and calls him out and tears him up and eventually turns public sentiment enough an, against Antony enough yeah, that the Senate agrees that it's, it's, it's too much. And they say, yes,
0: we are, we are deposing Antony and,
1: whatever you say, Octavian, we're doing it right now.
0: I, I don't want to paint Cleopatra as being like this vixen or or or, or something, but like, I, I have to say that she must have had some influence because he seemed to have a very clear objective and goal. But then he gets down to Cleopatra. And it's like, oh, yeah, sweetheart, we can now have this empire together, just you and I, I, I feel that she's manipulating him in a way, and that's, that's kind of sidetracking him from from being able to, and I, I know I, I know it's a stereotype to kind of think of woman as being like this, this meddling force that, that kind of destroys, destroys things. but I think that's what she's doing in this particular instance. That is a, a theme in Roman history and Roman folk
1: tales throughout their entire existence is this idea of like women taking down great men. Right, right. Right. Uh, True or not. And frankly, it's usually not. But that's like a thing, right? Like, I mean, like, and even European history is, is littered with evil stepmothers and witches. And it's, they often get the short end. And it's funny that you say that you see her as like a vixen and a manipulator, because that's how Octavian was trying to paint her as. It was really important to Octavian that he lay as much blame at the feet of Cleopatra as he could, because it makes it easier. It's easier... It is easier for Octavian to go to the Senate and say, we need to declare war on Cleopatra and Egypt because they are uh, annexing our territory than it is to say we need to declare war on fellow Roman Mark Antony because he's annexing.
0: I I, I don't see it that way because I think I would say... No sir, you're the one that betrayed your own convictions. Like you should have stayed with your wife. You should have just you know, pay, you know, you should have just followed the course because you can't just blame somebody else for basically taking you down a detour and then be like, "Oh, no, no, she tricked me." It's like if you're a ruler, it's a very weak move to blame somebody else for taking you down a detour. It's expected that the ruler always makes the right choice and they they are above being tricked. I think a good analogy would be the thing that just
1: happened with in South Korea, with where, and I apologize for not knowing the all the details of this, but it was something really scandalous. Like the president, it turns out, was like getting advice from what basically amounts to a cult and making policy decisions on, you know, what's going on. Like making policy decisions based on like advice she was getting
0: from like um, basically from a cult from wow. for this
1: religious thing.
0: Um, no, this this is actually really important right now because I think that as soon as a ruler starts blaming others for their misfortune or for bad advice, that is a sign that they are on on the decline. I, I really I really actually think that, that 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 because I think true rulers may get good advice and they may get bad advice. When they get bad advice, a true ruler will say I apologize, I was misinformed. However, here's the corrective step. But I think when a ruler just starts pointing at, no, it's Cleopatra, she's the evil one, she I feel like that's a sign that your power is starting to go on the decline when you start blaming cults and rogue women for your for your bad decision making.
1: Well, I can definitely <laughs> tell you that Octavius's power will not be on the decline after this. Um, oh, okay, he for sure is going to come <laughs> out of this on top. Uh, another another example might be something like when you're attacking a politician for their decisions, especially in America. A lot of times, it's easier and more effective rather than say, "I think that this guy is making bad decisions." It's easier to say, "This guy's in the pocket of
0: um, lobbyists." Yeah, right? you're you're totally right about that. that so that...
1: instead of taking all this time to be like, "Your plan for renew for implementing renewables in New York is short sighted, and I don't think it's going to work," I have my own ideas. It's just easier to be like, you know. Um, Aaron, you're in the pocket of big oil. Everything you do is because of everything you do is because of big oil. I'm not even going to go further into what you're trying to do because it's all big oil that's doing it. You're compromised. Get out of here.
0: Yes, yeah, I like that word that you just use, compromised. And yeah. I think that you know how I react to that as a ruler, I could act a number of different ways. And if I say, yeah, yeah, the big oil tricked me or whatever my power is going to is going to decline as a result of me admitting that but if i say something like yeah you know what i'm giving i'm paying a little too much attention to big oil right now let me get some other voices in this room and let's make some wiser decision making then i think i can at least redeem myself morally i suppose but in terms of <laughs> politics there is no winning
1: answer you you're on the back foot now if yeah, if people yeah. accept the propaganda of like you are in the pocket of lobbyists that is a black mark on your record now. You're not, you, I've never, I mean, you correct me if I'm wrong. I've never, ever in my life heard of a, of an American politician coming forward and apologizing for taking lobbying money.
0: Yeah. You no, know, prob, prob, that, no, I, that I can't think of. I do think of like maybe Kennedy apologizing for the the Bay of Pigs. Now that's not necessarily lobbyist money, but at least that's like an example of like, I was listening to the wrong people in that situation, and I do apologize for that.
1: Yeah, and, and the fact is, is that Octavian successfully pins this, like, going native thing to Cleopatra. And it's, again, one of the reasons that it's important is because it's hard to get armies of the same country to fight each other.
0: Yes, yes. Right. It's very hard. Brother so, versus brother. Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. Neighbor versus neighbor, brother versus brother. And making that army into the Egyptian army instead of the Roman army is imperative to convincing your soldiers to
0: go to war. I. Whoa, I love that. So it's kind of like saying you're fighting the evil Cleopatrian army. And that's just a way – because there's a certain degree of otherness that you are now ascribing to that army, and that's going to make it a lot easier for people to kill one another. Absolutely. And beyond that, again,
1: to bring up the lobbying thing, it's easier to convince the, the Senate, the government, the whoever, to say, like, we need to get lobbying out of Congress. That is easier than saying we need to get rid of these four senators because they've been compromised by lobbyists.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. To the
1: point where you've literally never heard people make that claim, but people make the claim all the time of like, let's get money out of politics, right? Yes. 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 That's easier. And frankly, I mean, I don't know if you've ever thought of it this way, but that could be used as a cover to have an attack on certain politicians, right? You can have politicians who are maybe their previous job was like they work for a telecommunications firm and now you can't outright attack them but you can say we need to get lo- you can't outright attack them cuz maybe they're popular but you can attack them indirectly by saying like telecommunications companies have too much control over government and we need to get them out and by turning people against telecommunications company you're also turning them against this
0: person that's interesting wow so it's it's kind of like kidding that person by proxy of of an affiliation they have yeah yeah
1: you're guilty by association is is the goal that that they're pushing for and they succeed um what happens is antony lodges a will in the temple of the vesta defector from antony's camp tells octavian that he needs to see this will it's really important so octavian essentially steals the will out of the temple and reads it and he's I want to say horrified, but really he's like super happy about it, right? <laughs> because what the will says is that he's renouncing his Roman citizenry. He's leaving all of his fortunes to his illegitimate children with Cleopatra. He, de- he declares uh, Cleopatra to be like the queen of kings. He declares Caesarion, who is Julius Caesar's illegitimate son, with Cleopatra to be the true heir of Julius Caesar's legacy. He's gone and he, he, he wants to be buried in Alexandria
0: in Egypt instead of in Rome. This is a huge deal. This this will is feeding the narrative of the foreign invader. That's basically what this will is doing. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it feeds it to the point where it can't eat anymore. It's stuffed. This is it. This is the nail in the coffin.
1: This is what Caesar, uh, this is what Octavian uses to turn Rome against Mark Antony.
0: Now, in fairness, Antony should not have, you know, decreed that he be buried in Alexandria. Like if you want, if you really, so I think this is an issue of willpower because I would say that if Antony really wanted to rule Rome, he should have had, he should have identified as being a Roman citizen first and have his burial place designated there. I I think that he lost will somewhere along the line where he's like, no, I love you. I love Cleopatra. I want to be buried near where she lives or whatever. You know, like somewhere along the line, I think he just lost will. I think his aspirations were lower at this
1: point than Mm. Octavian's, where Octavian wanted to rule all of Rome. And from what we're seeing, like I said before, it seems like Octavian's goal here is to carve a piece of Rome for himself, probably making Egypt his capital and granting control of the provinces to his children creating his own kingdom his own dynasty it's just it's not sticking to your original vision this is enough to to turn the people against mark antony and start give give uh, octavian the 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 causes belli to invade egypt mm. to go after mark antony
0: right right
1: what we're going to see and I'll 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 make this a little bit quicker is that Antony's forces don't really like Cleopatra. They don't like being ordered around by a woman, they're not used to it. They don't like deferring to her for stuff and they definitely don't like her being in charge of troops. It's at the time it's bad luck for women to be on the battlefield, it's bad luck for women to be on ships. It's not good. They start abandoning Antony in droves. Antony is losing his forces he, there's like one final battle, uh, the Battle of Actium, where it's 31 BC, and Antony is is absolutely decimated, right? Wow. Um, what little troops survive flee to Egypt. Um, Octavian, the next year, immediately follows Antony. Antony's troops, like the second Octavian's troops get close to Antony's troops, Antony's troops surrender and switch sides. it's like it's insane right his his world is 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 falling apart he tries to plan like one final battle where he can die with honor and literally his troops the second they make contact with the enemy just switch sides and abandon him whoa his his navy immediately surrenders as soon as they're in earshot of the enemy ships he's he's left walking back basically alone no money no support no nothing he kills himself cleopatra is captured and she kills herself the, i think the, the the legend goes that she had a a snake an asp smuggled into her chamber uh in like a fruit basket and she gets the snake to bite her and she dies and julius caesar's illegitimate son Caesarion is assassinated in egypt sure Sure. So up every last tie to this. Yeah, two Caesars is one Caesar too many. Right? <laughs> and and this is it. This is the end of the Civil War. Octavian
0: is now in complete control of everything. I, I think this is actually a good place to pause, and I want to do a little analysis with you here because I think that the 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 theme that I'm seeing here, and this is a, a theme that I maybe did not initially think of, is this theme of having a very clear vision of rulership and and i think that uh mark anthony kind of makes this mistake at at so many different junctures where he he gets sidetracked in his personal life he gets sidetracked politically like okay i want to rule rome oh oh, wait a minute i don't want to rule rome i just want this section for me and my mistress to kind of like sit back and eat grapes and enjoy and i think that when you compromise your core vision, there is usually going to be consequences, like unforeseen consequences that sort of befall you. Absolutely. You're you're spot on here. Antony's career is plagued
1: with these instances of him putting his own pleasure and his own desires ahead of what is required to rule when caesar leaves mark antony in charge of rome uh something that i didn't speak about but it happened um during the time when caesar was was rushing off to fight pompey the time that caesar was in egypt with cleopatra he left mark antony in charge and mark Antony did a real bad job he was more interested in in feasting and drinking and gambling and women than he was in governing.
0: Yes. This reminds me of a book that I read called um, Leaders Eat Last. And, and, And the idea behind this is that when your subordinates see that you are engaging in too much opulence and too much pleasure every single day, it's one thing to have a one big banquet once a year. But when they see you engaging in opulence every single day, the respect of the subordinates that are putting uh, their lives at risk begins to diminish with every increasing day that you are selfishly spending time with your mistress, every single time that you are drunk off your ass with, with wine. I, I think that, that 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 has like an impact on the people that you are commanding.
1: Yeah, absolutely it does. And it, you're not wrong in your assumption that that Octavian was successful because he just wanted it more yeah it's it's true it's true and and he you know like even when the two of them are split between east and west antony's plan is just to like live in this fantasy world of like glorious battle every night is like you know eastern princesses and glorious banquets whereas octavian is dealing with pirates and land redistribution it's
0: not fun um, and this is this is this is this is a real issue because leaders have to have tremendous foresight and willpower and and we could even throw in the Greek word like stoicism here that being a ruler is not about pleasure. it's just not about that. And I think that a lot like I think w- when you become a ruler that does gain you access to Eastern princesses and money and 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 luxury, but if you kind of fall too victim to that, too, you you fall too much into that. Stop! You start losing your eye on the like on the prize, so to speak, and that 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 it becomes a vacuum for people to then exploit and then basically dethrone you. Yeah, I mean, and that's what happened,
1: and that's that's what ha- like you said that 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 is what happens, which is um, I think we talked about this in a previous episode where we talked about how like if you're not willing to do what it takes to win. Even if, even in the case where you're being, you're trying to be like virtuous, which Anthony was not here, but even when you are trying to be virtuous, you will lose to people who are doing what it takes to win.
0: Yes. Right? And that's, that. as a ruler, you always have to look over your shoulder and be like, geez, well, I'm getting drunk today. This other dude is really, really out there. You know, and I, I think the perfect example is, an election between an incumbent and a newcomer, right? Like this is like the classic example where the incumbent is like, yeah, I've been, I've won this office like five times in a row. I'm just going to chill here in my mansion and relax. And the newcomer is doing a radical grassroots movement, knocking on those doors. being like, Hey, you got, you got to come out in November and vote for me. And, and we, we kind of see this playing out, you know, even today where it's like, if you are not really having your fingers tightly on that steering wheel, someone else is going to launch a grassroots movement campaign and take away your power.
1: Oh yeah, I mean, where where we both are from, we saw um, Alexandria uh, Cortez beating the um, the the Democratic Crowley incumbent.
0: Crowley, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's it's it happens. You know, it's it's not if you're not willing to put in the work, probably someone else is.
0: Yes, yes. And, and, you know, regardless of where, regardless of, you know, and I always say this, regardless of where your politics lie, always be on the side of the person willing to work really hard. I I think, I think, I think whether you're, you know, Republican or Democrat, if you see somebody that's really, you know, waking up at 5 a.m. every morning and knocking on doors, it's probably a safe bet to say eventually, it may not be this election, but eventually they're going to succeed in breaking down the door.
1: And we see it more, in just, more than just politics, it's in business too. I mean, there's stories, so many stories, especially around the era, the early 2000s with the dot-com bubble of like, you know, Blockbuster got the opportunity to buy Netflix. Yeah. And they turned them down. You know, uh, Microsoft <laughs> had the opportunity to buy Google and they turned them down. Sears. Sears. Sears, yeah, the Sears the, catalog. The Sears catalog, they were famous for this this big book of things and then people would pick out what they wanted and then that the the thing that they wanted would get delivered to them. And the age of the internet came and all they had to do was digitize their catalog. Jeez. That's all they had to do and they just didn't want to do it. They were like, why bother? We're we're essentially the incumbent. We're already sitting on um sitting on a fortune, right? Yeah. We're already uh Doing good, and along comes this little no-name book company called Amazon, and they uh, dr- dr- drove them out of business, right? Yeah, blockbuster yeah. driven out of business by their by Netflix, even though they had the opportunity to do what Netflix does first. They just chose not to.
0: Yes, you know what I think it is, Brett. I think those CEOs spent a little too much time with Eastern princesses. That that's I- what I. <laughs> I think you might be right, Aaron. (laughs) Brett, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. It's always a pleasure. This concludes the fourth part in our series, Rome, The Decline of Democracy.